Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. My name is Rockin' Randall Colburn. I am joined by, say hello. I wanted to say Rockin' too, but I guess that's your thing. You uh, can be Rockin' roll, roll, Rollin' Melcast. There you We're go. Rockin' and rollin'. Yeah, I think that could be a good duo for us since we do a lot of mm-hmm. duo podcasting. We do a rock, Rockin' and Rollin'. So today... We're back with our on writer series. Uh, this is yeah, this is where we interview uh, modern horror authors that we really like, and it's you know I and to agree to talk to us, <laughs> who also agree to talk to us. We because you know one of the questions we get, and we've said this on the other episodes, but I'm just going to reiterate it because one of the questions we get a lot from our listeners is like, who are the good horror authors? Who are the new Stephen Kings? And and I think that this is our way of helping to answer that question. These are authors we like, and we also ask them to recommend the authors they like. So I feel like you're mm-hmm. going to come out of these episodes with a lot of recommendations. If you haven't listened, this one to in yet, particular, if you want some movie recommendations, you're yeah. in for a treat. Yeah, we get movie recs too. Um, so yeah, we've talked to St- Stephen Graham Jones. We've talked to John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats about his book Devil House. And, uh, yeah, today we're talking with, uh, Gemma Files, who just won the Bram Stoker Award for her new short fiction co- collection, In That Endlessness, Our End, which is published by, uh, I believe Grimscribe. Yeah, Grimscribe. Grimscribe. And, uh, man, it's like, I'd heard of Gemma Files before, but, um, but I didn't. Uh, dig into her stuff until you uh, brought her name up, Mel. And so what was it that made you want to uh, talk to her? And and what is it that you think is special about her work? I've heard her name tossed around horror circles for a really long time. And always with a type of reverence that is tinged with personal fear. And like these people are are so into her work and so touched by it. And I can see having read this collection, why? That is the case. I do feel like part of me is being accessed by these stories in a way that um, is truly under the skin getting to turn that into a verb. (laughs) Randall, we talk about we talk in this interview about a lot of the themes of this collection. They include technology, the Internet. It's it's a, a contemporary horror novel in a literal sense. Mm-hmm. But it is also deeply concerned with all of the universally terrifying sensations and thoughts that have haunted humanity forever. There's a lot of cosmic stuff. There's yeah. a lot of the unknown. There's a lot of haunting. Um, so by way of technology, a lot of the time, but also just by way of reinventing tropes, um, I think she does phenomenal work in stringing these stories together. For me, though, it's the emotional closeness that is so key here. Um, her narrators and her protagonists, even when the point of view is, is second person or uh, multiple points of view or some some formal um, some form of storytelling that isn't quite traditional for a second or third person, there is so much emotional 
closeness and nuance um, that I feel that I was not only inhabiting the brains of these characters, but that I was inhabiting their very, I don't know, like emotional reality and and sensory system. Um, And I think feelings are really hard to describe, especially in horror when we think the register might be a little limited. It's like you're screaming or you're not screaming. But like, I think Gemma Files is like a master of all these different registers and of turning that coin, that attraction repulsion coin that I'm so invested in seeing all the sides of. Um, So we talk in the interview too about her interest in sort of um, subversion and perversity. And I, I don't know, it's just so rich emotionally. And that to me was what I really uh, drew out of it greedily. What about you, Randall? What did you What did you love about this? Well, I think on the surface, what I love is that she writes about um, she writes horror that is really hyper modern. Like uh, a lot of these, like there's stories about podcasters. There's uh, a lot of uh, she likes you know epistolary storytelling with uh, like through emails and things mm-hmm. of that nature. And I love that kind of stuff. Like, and she describes her writing. Uh, to some degree is like found footage, like found footage horror. Mm-hmm. And um, I love that. As soon as she said that, I was like, it's Randall's jam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I fucking love found footage. And so I think that articulated a lot of what I really liked about uh, this collection is that it feels very modern. And um, but it's yeah, it's like you mentioned, it's it's cosmic Lovecraftian, uh, Legadian sort of like weirdness and uh, kind of un, unnameable, unspeakable kind of evil that exists behind the veil of mm-hmm. these things that really dominate our lives, whether it's but electricity. so felt, we feel it. <laughs> yeah, whether it's like the internet, whether it's, um, you know, uh, you know, radio, whether it's like electricity, all these things. And um, these are the, por- and she kind of says in our interview, she's like, these are sort of the portals, these are the doors um, to, you know, something that is much bigger and something mm-hmm. that we possibly can't comprehend and that is a cool combination for me and one that I don't feel like I've seen in a lot of uh modern horror and Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's special stuff and she's got a whole bunch of work she's been writing publishing since the 90s and uh but yeah this collection is fantastic and I also read her novel experimental film which is a pretty breezy read and is also quite good um and I love that she writes about film a lot too like Mm -hmm. um she is a former film critic and she's a big movie buff as we discussed in the episode. So, uh, so she incorporates a lot of that kind of stuff into, uh, her stories as well, which is, you know, her deep film knowledge, but also like what it is that is creepy about the moving image, you know, uh, and sort of the, the distance that exists between the viewer and the performer. So I don't, I don't want to belabor this too much, but I just also want to say a lot of times, even if a story collection is great, it is still a labor to read it in a condensed period of time. And we had about a week and a half to read this. This was the perfect story collection to read like all the way through in a condensed period of time. Like the stories are related thematically in a way that the eeriness just kept building for me. And I can't recommend that experience enough. Um, Just loved to consume it in that stretch of richness. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So thanks for listening. Uh, check us out. We have, this is a free episode, but we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash the Barons. We've got all kinds of good stuff in there. And, um, if, yeah, what is our, we just did our everything's eventual episodes and our next book is going to be from a Buick eight. We'll be back on that King beat. So, uh, but yeah, uh, in the meantime, enjoy our interview with Gemma Files. Hello, Gemma. How are you? Pretty good. How are you? 
Good. Thank you so much for joining us. My name's Randall. I think it says Michael in my Zoom thing, but that's just because it's our shared thing for uh, the podcast. So, but my name is Randall and this is Mel. And, um, you know, I think uh, probably the best way to start is we are a Stephen King podcast. We, this is a... uh, a series we started a couple months ago called On Writers, and it's just a cool way for us to highlight horror authors we like and admire uh, for our listeners, because our listeners are big Stephen King heads, and they're always looking for new uh, genre writers, and that's hard to find sometimes, like people that you vibe with. So that's, uh, you know, our way of, this is our way of kind of like offering them that. Um so yeah, well, I think uh, yeah, a good place to it's start. Super cool to hear that you vibe with me. That's nice. oh yeah. No, oh my we, gosh, <laughs> the vibes are very strong. <laughs> we love the new co- collection so much. Yeah, we have a million questions about it. So excellent. Yeah. So um, but you know, this is a Stephen King podcast. So I'd love to start just by hearing a little bit about uh, you know, like, are you a fan of Stephen King? Yes, uh, I am a fan of Stephen King. Um. I let's see my my first real experience with Stephen King was Carrie. Mm-hmm. My uh, my mom got a hold of Carrie, and uh, it naturally devolved to me. I didn't I didn't even have to you know steal it from her the way that I did <laughs> with uh, Interview with the Vampire. Oh, um, I stole that from my mom too. Hey, Interview with the Vampire, yeah. That's right. a classic steal from your mom. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, but uh, but the one that actually first connected with me um, was Night Shift. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Night Shift kind of opened my brain to Stephen King. And then almost immediately after that, um, it was on to uh, Salem's Lot. Yeah. Um, and in fact, as I recall, I believe that I, <laughs> that I read Salem's Lot before I read Dracula. Oh, nice. <laughs> I did too. So Salem, yeah, that's, I that's so. true of me as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Salem's Lot was my, uh, gateway drug to Dracula. Uh, and from then on, it was Stephen King all the way. Um, yeah. I think well- overall, um, what I eventually figured out is that I'm more a Straubian than a Kingian. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But, well, say more about that. Like what, what makes that distinction for you? Okay. So the distinction really, um, really made itself obvious uh, when I read the double punch of it versus floating dragon. Um, because they had already written the talisman together. And what I felt is that it kind of urged them both on whether this was deliberate or not to try and write books that were kind of infected by each other's style. Yeah. Um, There's, there's some, there's a lot of really Straubian stuff in it. Uh, And Straub attempts to put a lot of Kenyan stuff in um, Floating Dragon, but it's harder for him because, you know, with, with King, it's, it's sort of like, it's like, and then everything went terribly, but it didn't. <laughs> and then everybody died, but they didn't. Yeah. You know, whereas Straub is sort of like, oh man, I can't do that. <laughs> 
Well, it's funny because we just talked about Black House uh, a couple months ago on the podcast. And in some interviews, Straub talked about how they people would try, you know, he's like, well, we did Talisman. People tried to guess who wrote what. So right. he's like, when we did Black House, we tried to imitate each other a lot to throw people off. And he's like, like Straub is like, I never use all caps in my writing. Uh, so I used a, a lot of them in <laughs> Black House, you know, just to throw people off the scent. Uh, it so makes yeah, that, sense to me that like, yeah after collaborating you would start to do that in your own work non-deliberately like it's hard enough to stay one person yourself when you do writing so yeah, a novel with another person I can imagine picking up ticks and quirks oh, and oh, all yeah. that sort of thing absolutely um, um yeah ticks ticks and 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 tips yeah um and you know uh I I think in particular um, with Floating Dragon, uh, there's there's that thing about the Red Red Robin comes bob bob bobbing along, oh my, which is, is so, so king. king. <laughs> <laughs> they said in unison, um, and uh, and whereas with it, it's more stuff like the balloons, yeah, um, and various other sort of almost backgroundy kind of things, almost detail oriented things. But yeah, it's it's like Straub is is really, you know, trying to, and then they all came together and they became a team yeah. and, you know, and they survived together because of each other. And yeah, I can't, no, I can't, I can't, can't do it. <laughs> so uh, was did Night Shift appeal to you because you like that kind of short story format? Because I know that you do a lot of short stories yourself. Did that steer you in that direction, perhaps? Night shift, night shift. I mean, at the time, I wasn't writing short stories. I was, sure. I was a kid, so you know, I, I think even back, even back then, uh, it, it might have been like so early in my development that um, I still thought that I was going to write science fiction, even though uh, no, <laughs> no, no. You, you need to know a lot about science for that, and I'm just not good. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, Disagree. There's so thing. much great science in this collection, but we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I, I've, I've tried. I've, I've tried to mock it. Let's put it that way. Um, but uh, yeah, there was that was that was one of the first things that I ever read, which particularly with, you know, the things that jump out at me. I mean, yes, there's Children of the Corn, right? Mm -hmm. There's the Boogeyman. There's, you know, all the easy comics kind of stuff. Yeah. But the stuff that jumps out at me is stuff like Strawberry Spring. Yeah. Where, like woman, woman in the Room. Or, yeah, yeah. 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 Or The Last Rung of yeah, The, last la rung of in the, the ladder. ladder. Yeah. Incredible story. Yeah. yeah. Incredible story. And, you know, like large, um, you know, or, or even something like uh, I Am the Doorway, which yeah. appears on the surface of it to be um, very easy comics, but because of the strong Im imagery, but actually it's, it's quite cosmic horror. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. It's like, it went, it went, it went so bad. It went so bad. I just didn't <laughs> expect it to go that bad. Well, it did. <laughs> yeah. um, um, what, what impact, if any, would you say King has had on your own writing? I think more than anything else, it's been, do what you want. Yeah. Um, no one can stop Stephen King from writing. Yeah. Even Stephen King can't stop Stephen <laughs> Stephen King from writing. You know, a man with a truck can't stop 
Stephen mm-hmm. King from writing. <laughs> yeah, we just kind of did a bunch of episodes all about the accident and yeah. we do a chronological sort of reread. And we're in this phase post-accident where um, he's he's talking about how depressed he is because he's not able to write like he used to. He still writes like Dreamcatcher, Rose Red, and then like from a, or from a Buick Gate, like all these things. I know. And it's, yeah, it's <laughs> his, his output is incredible. And, uh, and you know, he's threatening. He's like th- around that same time. He was like, well, I think I'm going to retire soon. I'm going to retire soon. And yeah. my, 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 my friends and, and I um, used to do uh, co- uh, uh, like a, a sort of um, a, a comedy group thing together mm-hmm. And uh, at one point, we we had <laughs> so stupid. Um, we, we we had a sketch where where a guy is is just going. It's like so. I was going past the storefront, and you know what I saw in the window. And another person is, and other people are just yelling stuff. And finally, one of one of my friends yelled, "Was it Stephen King pulling whole books out of his ass?" <laughs> <laughs> and, that's that's always that's always the way that I feel about that. You know, it's it's like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm I no, I'm done. I'm done. I'm uh I'm retired now. Oh yeah. Whoa, where did that come from? Sneezes yeah. book falls out of it. Eight hundred page book falls out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. What other writers would you say have been like influential on you? Um is Straub one of them? And I mean I, like when I read some of your work, I I get like Ramsey Campbell vibes, I get like Thomas Ligotti vibes. So I'm curious um, if, if any of those ring a bell. Ligotti, strangely enough, I did not come to until quite late mm-hmm. in my uh, development. So I am not as Ligottian as maybe some people think I am. Um, I admire him, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm not as, I, I was never quite as aware of him as as some other people. Um Clyde Barker. Oh, yeah. Clyde okay. Barker. Yeah. You know, because, um, you know, that uh, that was basically the the prime time. You, you have to understand, I was born in 1968. Mm-hmm. I am much older than most people think I am. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, yeah, so when 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 Barker dropped um, and I read the Books of Blood, I was just like, you know, again, um, the thing that I take away from King is uh, no one can stop you writing and do what you want. And the thing that I take away from Barker as well is yeah. do what you want. You know, yeah. it's like I remember reading uh, In the Hills, the Cities and just going, yep, OK, all right. <laughs> well, you know, I guess the world is open. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's that like, was also for me the first time I had read a unabashedly horror story that had queer protagonists yes. I think that was the first time for me <laughs> yeah. yes exactly and I remember making the distinction uh to uh to a friend at one point that you know up till then yeah sometimes you would come across queer characters in in something but it would always be like and they were Yay! And therefore, <laughs> something terrible happened to them. Yeah. And this, it was, it was sort of like, no, something terrible happened because they were in a horror story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't because they were gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't because it wasn't because they, they, you know, really, they probably would have broken up in in about you know two months, anyways. But you know, it wasn't because of it's any hard of that. To get past that, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So you've been uh, publishing since the 90s. And I, I guess for our listeners who are, you know, just discovering your work, how would you sort of characterize, you know, what got you into writing um, and the perhaps evolution of your career since then and maybe the themes that you write about? Okay. Um, I always knew that I was going to write fiction, but mm-hmm. uh, I... <laughs> my parents are both uh, uh, are both actors okay. and I've been around uh, actors all my life and uh, I knew what it was to live the contract life to, yeah. to live contract to contract and so when I uh, got out of high school I decided that I was going to learn how to do something that would be a little more stable than that so naturally I uh, I went to school for journalism <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fellow, oh, I didn't know. fellow journalism you know. guys. So yeah, yeah, yeah I, I had no idea. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, naturally, I went to school for journalism. Um, and, you know, I was I was like, well, you know, that's 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 much more stable. Um, and then I graduated into a recession yeah. and I ended up working at a sex shop uh, on the uh, dildo room floor. <laughs> um for a but while you got some good stories out of that <laughs> I did I did actually get some good stories out of that and then uh then I eventually did become a journalist but mainly more of a uh film critic right um and again you know, it's like yeah I was doing really well there for a while you know <laughs> and then uh no yeah it's no. In a rough uh, criticism's in a rough state these days yeah. yeah well this is it I mean it's sort of like everything that I everything that I ended up uh, training for um, is has become something that you can't make money at any anymore. Yeah. So I might as well just write fiction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so when I graduated from uh, from J school, um, it was in the beginning of um, the 1990s, and the people that I um, ended up being most um, influenced by in terms of, hey, you might as well do your own stuff. Um, Caitlin Kernan, uh, Kathy Koja, mm-hmm. um, and then Poppy's D. Bright, who is now Billy Martin. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's sort of like <laughs> my, my, my big feminist three. Yeah. <laughs> So I knew that I was I was going to write fiction no matter what. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until uh, I had sort of drifted a, f- a little bit away from being a film critic uh, into the realm of teaching, teaching Canadian film history, general film history and uh, screenwriting and a couple of other things at a um <laughs> at a at a diploma mill in Toronto um, that I began to place stuff you know and yeah from then on it was a it was a slow but I suppose steady climb yeah the the big thing that happened that dictated everything after that was when uh in 1999 I won the International Horror Guild Award for uh short short form fiction right for The Emperor's Old Bones yeah, that was when I, you know, finally went to uh, World Horror Con to accept the award and discovered that 
people knew who I was. Yeah. People <laughs> that had apparently been, been a trip. You know, like. yeah, I know it was a super trip. You know, Harlan Ellison comes comes up and he's like, Files, you're pretty good. Wow. You, have, you, know, <laughs> you know, sure, you won an award, but don't let that go to your head. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Good advice. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, shattered. Shattered like a green glass goblin. Okay. <laughs> Selfishly, um, I'm glad we're talking short stories because they're my favorite form. And so I'm glad that your most recent release and, and congrats on the uh, Stoker Award for it yeah. as well. Um, Thank you. When, I, I was really happy about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're so lucky. We're talking to the, we're kind of moving down the roster. We talked to Stephen Graham Jones. Now we get to talk to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're... But I, I wanted to ask a couple of questions about short stories and your approach to them in general. And then Randall and I both have kind of pet themes we want to ask okay. you about. Yeah. Um, so when you're starting a short story, what are you working towards? Is there any consistency there? Is it a, an idea, an image, a tone or anything that you can define? Um, voice. Voice is always the first thing, I think, probably because I grew up listening to monologues um, and listening to people take each other on their lines. So I always feel that if I find the voice, then everything else is going to come from that. Um, now, that being said, I think that a lot of my characters tend to sound like me. Mm. Also, the weird thing is, and I've discovered this when I started to um, read out loud, uh, is that uh, a, lot of my, a lot of my stuff, uh, when read out loud, sounds funnier than I think it is when I'm <laughs> writing it. Um, <laughs> that's better than the other way around, I think. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> it's like, and then she killed him. <laughs> the thing came out of the light, the light socket. It yeah. was hilarious. Um, but uh, yeah, so voices first. The second thing is the, I suppose, the beginning and the end. A lot of the time I begin writing a story, I'm, I'm a big outliner, and a lot of the time I begin writing a story with the beginning and the end, and then I have to figure out how you get from the beginning to the end. Um, and it's not, it's not actually so much how, it's why. Mm -hmm. You know where you're going to end up, but why are you going to end up there? Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, you could call that the arc of, arc of it, I guess. But there's always something very um, alchemical about uh, getting from here to there. Yeah. A lot of the time, the beginning is, um, I, I like to say, you know, you, you have to get the grit to make the pearl from. And um, the grit is almost always details from your life. Uh, yeah. stuff that sounds familiar enough or and realistic enough that it roots people and you <laughs> you trick them into I mean let, let's face it all horror you know begins with that creepypasta place mm -hmm. you know yeah. where it's like I'm going to tell you something which is going to sound like complete bullshit but I swear to you it's true mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so you have to find the rooting details um and you know for example with bulb um that began with the fact that my husband and i moved into a condo um <laughs> 17 years ago because uh -huh. <laughs> my 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 child has over 17 years ago in fact 
because um, my child has lived his entire life in this condo. Um, and when we viewed it, it had really nice light fixtures. And we were like, do those come with the with with the condo? And and the woman who was showing it to us goes, I yes, yes, <laughs> I think so. Let me let me check on that. And, and then we moved in there and it turned out no, they did not come with the with, Nothing. with yeah. the condo. Uh the guy uh who had originally owned it went back to Hong Kong and he took his life fixtures with him. And at that point we discovered that uh, we could not figure out why those light fixtures would not work. Yeah. So in fact, we live in a condo where everything is everything is lit by floor lamps. Oh, interesting. <laughs> because yeah. Where 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 does the electricity come from? We just don't <laughs> yeah. know. You know, it's like and nobody that we've ever brought in to find out where the electricity comes from has ever been able to figure out what you know, so. I began with that. I began with, you know, a lot of details that I'm very familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> and then I knew that eventually I was going to end up with, and it's because those, because there's an Eldritch portal in yeah. my my apartment. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, that That's is the only explanation. Jellyfish yeah. is going to come out of. That is <laughs> that is the challenge of. I feel like this is why horror is such a hard genre to tackle because you do have to achieve the gravitas that will bring someone in and ground them, as you're saying. And I feel like you work with such huge and unexplainable concepts yeah. and feelings, but then you you kind of plumb and animate them with some incredibly precise language and metaphors. One of my favorites was. Um, uh, the soldier's coffin flag, like folding up the pieces of your life, like a soldier's coffin flag. Um, so I think there's this great, this wonderful dance between like vagueness and then something precise, something specific. And it powers so much of the horror because we're dipping our toes in and out of that, like unknown and seeing like, yeah, flashbulb glimpses. Mean... Um, can you talk about how you approach describing the unknowable? Like you have this like huge idea and then yeah. Whether it's cosmic or mundane, like how you approach that balance of the precise. Well, and the you know, uh, the the approach to um, describing the unknowable is always, you know, it's like you, you can you can go full H.P. Lovecraft and be like, I can't. I just can't. <laughs> uh, if I were to attempt to do that, I would go insane or you would go insane. We we'd would both, both die. Insane. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'd both die, you know, um, but you can only do that so often unless you are hp lovecraft right um and he probably should have done it less than he than he ended up doing. <laughs> um so what i think about instead is that describing something that is unknowable is somewhat like opening um a bunch of uh you know like oh god that thing where you're approaching christmas um an advent calendar oh yeah yeah so you have uh, tiny little um, <laughs> you have an advent calendar and a lot of tiny little uh, doors that you open and at the end you're they're supposed to give you an an impression of what's behind the whole thing but you're just opening up door after door after door and seeing an eye and you know a little bit of a wing and a feather and <laughs> you know, some teeth, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it was like that, but it wasn't that, right. <laughs> it was, you know, yeah, that I, I also find that really useful. 
um, yeah. the idea of like a metaphor and a simile. You know, it it was like X, but it wasn't X because X is too simple. Mm-hmm. X yeah. is X is understandable, and this thing was not understandable. And or you know, it's like it was like x y and z but if you put x y and z together you'd still be like what the fuck is that i don't <laughs> right. know what is yeah. that like in uh <laughs> in um the uh, motel the airbnb story like when she looks in the wall and she sees the woman there but then notices all mm. like the strings right and it's like yes. uh they're strings but you get the sense that they are all attached to something much larger and much more ominous. And that to me was like one extremely effective example of, of what you're describing. That that image is very much sticking with me. So thank you. I'm yeah, I'm really glad about that. I was really happy when I when 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 that occurred to me. Um, yeah. you know, so much of horror and so much of faith, because horror uh, and the numinous crossover um, yeah. into the realm of faith, you know, the awe bit of awfulness it it depends on you know i i cannot tell you exactly what it's going to be like i can tell you how it's going to feel i can tell you how it makes me feel right you know it's like the um what like the bird (laughs) sharpening its uh, beak on the mountain of glass yeah and when the glass is all worn away that's the first second in hell (laughs) And it's like so be good for good i love thinking about horror as a as a as a deeply personal genre like that and i i do feel like the voices here you do so much interesting stuff with pov there's like all these blends there's a lot there's some second person but one constant for me was that i felt so close i felt cheek to cheek at with these characters there was no real emotional remove um oh, and good. i wanted to know if that narrative intimacy is something that you are in, in conscious pursuit of um, yeah, yeah, I think I, I think I am. I think more and more that that is something that I absolutely aspire to, or I, I want to put you there. Um, that was something that I first noticed with Thomas Harris. Um, oh, yeah, love Harris. I, yeah, <laughs> and, um, you know, for, for example, uh, the difference between the very measured stuff um of most of the back and forthness of most of silence of the lambs um not just because it literally is a a back and forth it is a it is a a debate or a, a conversation but then he'll go in action scenes to this breathless kind of i'm in the moment you know here's a paragraph that goes on for you know two and a half pages mm-hmm. um this and then this and then this and then this and he sunk his teeth into him and shook him like a rattling <laughs> dog you know but also the 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 wonderful craziness and eccentricity of things like he's a cemetery mink he lives down in the rib cage in the dry leaves of a heart yeah you know um and, you know, uh, I, I think uh, I, I also write poetry. And mm-hmm. from the beginning, uh, people have accused me of being too poetic, uh, poetic purple prose, right? Sure. Um, and 
I personally think that poetry is really useful because it forces you to think of a very specific set of images, a very specific set of words. Um, and I do not think that, you know, whenever people say poetic po purple prose, I, I always think that they, they, they think that you're uh, going for obfuscation. Mm. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm going to think big words, mm -hmm. big words, big descriptive words. And then, you know, you won't notice that I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And no, it's not that. It right. is very precise. It is very specific. And it's just a little odd. It's just a little eccentric. It's yeah. just weird, weird with a big W. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you know, and for me, yeah, Harris is, Harris definitely has that. <laughs> I've, I've seen people describe your work as, as weird fiction. Well, how do you, how do you respond to that kind of genre tag? When I first started writing, the big debate was, is it horror or is it dark fantasy? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then in the middle of, I guess, my, <laughs> my career of evil, it became, is it horror or is it weird with big w. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think essentially that I mean I'm certainly capable of writing dark fantasy um, I would say the Hexlinger stuff is serious ass dark fantasy Yeah. Um, and uh, often uh, if you go through my stuff something like Kiss and Carrion I think is more horror something like The Worm in Every Heart I think is more dark fantasy um, something like Spectral Evidence is more horror yeah. something like um drawn up from deep places is more fantasy more dark fantasy uh the dark fantasy that i'm drawn towards has like a tanith lee kind of thing to it and that uh but you know but tanith lee is still one of my rooting impulses it's you know she's like one of the biggest in influences on me uh, yeah. i think generally as as a writer God, I wish I could write like Kenneth Lee. If, if for no other reason than that I could sit, sit down and just be like, I'm going to write a book now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about what it's about. It just comes. It just comes, you know. Just yeah. comes, you know so I'm fascinated wanna... that you have, that you're a big outliner, first of all, and that you have beginnings and endings a lot of the time when you start. And I felt mm. like a lot of endings in this collection there was this like feeling of um, like hope, but it was a subversive hope. It was like a cycle fulfilled or like a new way of life that had been realized. And I just wondered if that was something you were aiming to keep as a sort of consistent ending theme throughout the collection or how, how do you know when you've right, when you found the right stopping point or, or um, this is a... I, I think particularly for uh, for in that endlessness or end, um, you know, a lot of this, <laughs> a lot of this stuff is like my my pre and post Trump um, <laughs> stories. Sure. So it's sort of like you know uh, an old Gen Xer going, I I thought we I thought we dealt with this man. <laughs> I thought we what the fuck? You know, it's like when I was um, again when I was young. Um, there was this certain satisfaction in the idea that uh, everything was going to hell in a handbasket. Mm -hmm. um, the handbasket was kind of fun. Um, and now when you're my age, the handbasket is not fun. And, yeah. you know, it's like 
God knows millennials don't think it's fun either, or Z-lennials. You know, it's they 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 were born in the handbasket. They're mm-hmm. you know, it's like they're they're well aware that it's a flaming garbage tip, um, and you know they've never known any other way. But I, you know, I had that moment that we, you know, my generation had that shining moment where we were like, you know, but then the wall came down and we didn't have to worry about nuclear war anymore. Yeah. And you know, and God damn it, it was. we we had decided it's not it's not cute to be a nazi Mm -hmm. it's just not you know um so you know there there is a there is a part of me that that is a depressive and there Mm -hmm. is a part of me that is like okay logistically things are not getting better and they're not gonna get any better um and things are just gonna go until they end and the end will not be great you know, but there is that other part of you, that part that's hope. And what I find is that there's a there's an echo in throughout my work of perversity, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and there's like a, a, a thing in my work where it's like, why? Because fuck you. That's why, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it's like um, and hope becomes perverse after a while. Mm-hmm. Hope becomes, you know what? I'm not going to despair. Yep. Yeah. Fuck you. You know, you want me to despair. You want me to um, detach, uh, to disengage. You want me to give up. And I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be alive. <laughs> I just want to live until I die. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm, I'm going to be alive till I'm dead. And yeah, um, yeah uh, in, on my way out, I will spit at you. Yeah, it's so <laughs> satisfying. And it does generate a lot of just delicious unexpected endings. I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, but there's a great well, story about it a family cult that has a just a wonderful yeah. ending that I really appreciate. <laughs> yeah, I you know when you talk about things getting worse and um this kind of this kind of decline, right? Like I think yeah. I think the kind of manifestation of that that is easiest to grasp is sort of what technology the internet, social media, being online all the time, that's sort of this great, yeah. I think, uh, you know, indicator of how much things have changed. And that's something I really noticed a lot throughout your work is, uh, you know, you're often reckoning with technology and other like modern inter- innovations. And like, and this is how it goes. Like people are basically watching the apocalypse on YouTube yeah. uh, and <laughs> like electricity is a mask for something, you know, very monstrous in a puppet motel. You've got like a haunted smartphone. So for me, like the horror in these stories represents the kind of like ambient thrumming anxiety that sort of accompanies life in the digital age. Like when we're always online, it, yeah. it, like, I, I very much felt that anxiety in a lot of those stories. Like even as much as the horror, like, especially in like puppet motel. So like, I don't know, is that true for you as well? Um, so again, because I'm older, um, I didn't get online until I was 25. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, and in fact I was, you know, I, I got email when I first started to work as a journalist because I was starting to work as a journalist yeah. and it was either that or, uh, you know, save my stuff to a, uh, a rigid disc yeah, and, floppy. uh, not even floppy. Not floppy. <laughs> the opposite <laughs> like, of floppy. <laughs> yeah. The opposite of floppy and, uh, and take it, uh, you know, and take it down to my editors 
so they could copy it onto the mainframe. Yeah. <laughs> and after a while, they were like, "For fuck's sake, please, please <laughs> get on the internet." You know, <laughs> it was like, ah, it's this internet thing. You know, it's like, yeah, it, it, it looks fad. like it's gonna blow. Yeah, it's a yeah. fad. No, no, <laughs> no. Um, you know, and I got on the internet and I loved it. And um, you know, like a lot of neurotypical people, I think. Um, you know, it was amazing to be able to find your tribe and to, uh, you know, to search under yeah. keywords. And, you know, um, it's like this thing that you thought you were the only person who was interested in. No, 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 no. There's mm -hmm. all sorts of other people who are interested in that thing as well. Yeah. And more and more and more. And, you know, and again, yeah, it's like, I thought that this was great. And then... After like 30, 40 years of people being on the internet and people being raised on the internet, yeah. it becomes different. It becomes, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it, it's deeper and shallower at the same time. Um, it's very easy for people to be utterly dismissive of things that are very, very important. <laughs> right. You know, and it's almost like they have no, uh, they have no reference for it. Mm. You know, it's like, you've always had the internet so it's always been thing happens commentary thing yeah. happens reblogging thing happens upvote downvote right and um wow that sounded super canadian <laughs> um great but uh and yet i still at my center believe that it is better to have the internet than to not have the internet. Interesting. And yeah, I, I was, um, I feel like a lot of horror writers are hesitant to write stories yeah. about the internet. And one of the things I really love about uh, e this collection specifically is you've got like podcasters and you've got yep. uh, people who are just way too online and, uh, and, <laughs> and all these, you know, and you've got stories about Airbnbs and all this stuff. And that was really refreshing to me too, because I really love modern, like hyper- uh, modern horror and yeah. uh but i feel like it's hard to find a lot of modern writers who engage with it at least on this level so i don't know like is i, there, I, I is think there, people yeah. people are always afraid that something's going to change and yeah. um that that things will become horribly dated and you know as as a um uh, as a as a fan of found footage yeah and uh and a fan of the epistolary which is where you know the, the the literary idea of found footage comes from you know you go back far enough you you know it's like what was the first version that we saw of this well essentially dracula mm -hmm. you know yeah. dracula is a collage novel um dracula is a, is is a found footage novel um you know, it's all diary entries and newspaper clippings and, you know, uh, timetables. And the other thing that most people don't, you know, get about Dracula unless they've been forced to look at it a little in a little more detail than, you know, maybe there's blah, blah, you know, yeah. um, is that it is a techno thriller. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's a Victorian techno thriller. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like this is, you know, it's like Stoker was real into using all the technology yeah. that he had at the time. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to record my voice on a wax <laughs> cylinder, and <laughs> you know, and Mina is going to transcribe my notes. 
You know, it's like my notes were made in shorthand and therefore Dracula couldn't read them. Mm -hmm. Nina is going to transcribe my notes using a typewriter. (laughs) (laughs) And this is how blood transfusions definitely work. (laughs) Yes, exactly. This is how blood transfusions definitely work. You know, I'm I'm surprised she stayed alive as long as she did, really. (laughs) But but yeah, you know, uh, so it's not it's not a deal for me. It's not a deal breaker. For me to go um why not use everything that you have available to you right particularly because all the type all the types of um horror that i'm most interested in you know yeah cosmic horror whatever um but cosmic horror is the thing through the uh the advent calendar doorway the doorway on the other hand is almost always technological right way is almost always mm. it is a frame that you bring with you and yeah and i i find that very the internet is our frame it's like yeah you know, there's there's a reason that creepypasta you know took such right. a massive uptick mm-hmm. yeah is- and when i read your work i i get creepypasta vibes but i also like found footage is a great way to describe it i'm a huge like found footage uh guy, I love it. And I wanted to talk to you about movies a little bit because yeah. it made total sense to me that you used to work as a film critic because um, I've read your novel, Experimental Film. And then also I, uh, you know, um, the the cut, what is it? Cut reel? I'm sorry, I'm forgetting uh, the name. Cut frame. Cut frame, uh, like very much. And also, uh, and also the, church, uh, the Church in the Mountains. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, I love that. Like, I love this sort of engagement with, and this is where I thought of Ramsey Campbell a lot uh, in his book, uh, Grin of the Dark. Do you know that one? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's I thought true. about that a lot. And, yeah. even, and before that, Ancient Images. Right, which I've also um, read, Ancient yeah. Images was the one that I came to first, not the first Ramsey Campbell novel that I came to because- Ramsey Campbell was um, really, uh, really one of the people that, um, much like Malcolm, uh, Malcolm, why not? Much like Michael McDowell, yeah, um, he was one of the good people to come out of the uh, the eighties horror boom, yeah. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, I think I began with the doll who ate his mother, like everybody else, yeah, um, and then and then read read basically everything of <laughs> yeah. his. Um, but, uh, but yeah, with ancient images, you know, ancient images revolves around a lost film, uh, a, a Karloff Lugosi yeah. film that, uh, the two of them made in, in Britain, um, and how that, um, is like a metaphor for, um, this amazing folk horror thing that's going on and has been going on in this particular place in, in England. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, Yeah. Uh, well, what can I say? You know, again, um, the screen is another door, right? Yeah. The, the movie screen is another door. And um, there's something about film that I noticed a long time ago. Well, two things. First one is that um, as a neurotypical person, uh, I've always had a lot of trouble trying to f- decode other people's emotions in real life. Mm-hmm. But you put stuff up on a movie screen and I understand exactly why people are doing the things they do. I understand exactly what's going on. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that I became as obsessed with movies as I did at a fairly early age. Um, and, you know, and again, I didn't uh, get access to a V 
a VCR until I was about um, hmm, 14. Yeah. So I would just go see movies that I liked over and over and over again for as long as they were in the theater. <laughs> I, I went to see, uh, um, God, uh, Flash Gordon, 1980, yeah. 25 times. Oh, wow. <laughs> Possibly 30. Yeah. Possibly 30. Um, <laughs> and that, you know, and that's, and that stayed, uh, that stayed pretty, um, that, yeah, that's, that stayed with me pretty much always. Uh, I would say I probably watched about, I don't know, three movies a day. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's, that's the, that's the terror of the, uh, of the streaming age, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, would, you, maybe- yeah. would you say like movies are as big of an influence on your writing as, as other fiction is? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, movies, the second thing about movies, which became really obvious to me when I started teaching, uh, I guess, movie appreciation mm-hmm. and, and screenwriting um, was that anything that you put in front of a camera um, gains a, a weird reality. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know that anything that you put in front of a camera is not real. Yeah, You know, um, my parents are actors. I've been around, you know, it's like, oh, Jesus Christ. Daryl Revick came over and changed my fuses once. <laughs> you know, um, I know that this stuff is not real. And yet I completely understand why people um, react to movies the way that they do, because every movie seems like a documentary. Yeah. You know, the same way that people look at documentaries and they're like, no, there were there were no cuts in that. There was yeah. no provenance. There was no. <laughs> it's like the person who made that didn't have a personal point of view that infused every every cut in that film. <laughs> it's like it's like that's truth, man. It's truth. <laughs> it's like no, it's not truth. You know, it's like it's it is it is very much curated. Mm-hmm. It is a curated stream of images. And yes, um, what's in front of the camera is important what's behind the camera is important what's on either side uh and what you you know what you only see by implication is as important as what you see right um through your own eyes um yeah there's this like cool sense of um of almost untrustworthiness in uh that the image you're seeing is like what is real and what is performance like the line gets a little blurry i think in some of your stories with uh and um yeah, like how to phrase that? Like there, there, it, there's this sense that what's happening on screen that there's another layer that the audience is not uh, necessarily yeah. grasping, but that is impacting them on a deeper level, and that's like very unnerving to me, and something I thought was very successful. Oh, in, in the ways I'm glad. That, yeah, that you've written. I'm, I'm really glad. Um, one of the most interesting uh, found footage things that I've seen in the last little while is uh, Incantation. Oh, I've not um, seen that. Yeah. On Netflix, Ooh. you absolutely should see that. And okay. um, without giving much away, I will say that, um, you know, people are like, is that a found footage movie or is it a mockumentary or is it? I'm like, Jesus Christ. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a bunch of found footage documents that are being put together yeah. in a curated way to tell you a story. I guess you could say it's a mockumentary being um, assembled in front of your eyes. But no, I would actually say that it is much more like um, a 
a viral video, like somebody's trying oh, to put together a yeah. viral video with, um, and, you know, right at the beginning, uh, the main character is like, hi, I'm so-and-so, so-and-so. And, you know, my daughter is really, really sick. And, you know, so I'm trying to, you know, it's almost like a TikTok thing where, you know, she's, she's appealing to you. You know, it's like, I, I really need you to help me, you know, get, let, you know, make sure that my daughter gets, gets well. Nobody knows what's going on with her, you know, so I'm just, I'm, I'm saying, you know, it's like, you can change, you can change reality by just asking for blessings. Mm -hmm. So can I get all of you to help me ask for blessings for my daughter, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, Oh, this is great. You yeah. are putting together a viral video, but I think you may not be doing this for the reason that you say you're right, doing right. it for. It <laughs> that sounds not. great. Yeah. You you are you are you are um what is it? Uh you're um you're tricking us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Obviously, but you're also uh it's 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 like a it's like a type of jargon it's like a type of type of language right yeah you know it's like it's like i'm appealing to you and you know it's like you don't really know what you're what you're doing but let me tell you what to do mm -hmm. yeah and you're just going to have to trust me that, that that i'm asking you for what i say that i'm asking you for yeah. I was just talking to Randall. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna rewatch Ghost Watch later tonight, and that has an element nice. of uh, making. Oh my god, real Ghost Watch is oh, it's so good. <laughs> but Ghost Watch is amazing. You yeah. know, it's like, yeah. Um, I have a. I'm I'm so happy that it's actually coming out in a form that that mean that everybody can watch that's mm -hmm. that's wonderful and um i'm i was happy when it showed up on shutter yeah that's that's incredible but um you know it's like ghost watch like a lot of a lot of things began almost like a secret um, yeah. totally. I, had to order, I had to order it on um you had to you had to watch it on on youtube and like it's got this you know, urban legend history yeah. and oh, it's... yeah i had to order it from uh from england Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, the same way that I have a, you know, I have a copy of the stone tape order yeah. <laughs> from England. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it's like, okay, well, we got to take it and put it in the, the specific DVD player. Because <laughs> otherwise, it's not going to, it's not going to work. Right. <laughs> it's like, I love that. I love yeah. that kind of. Thing. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. That's the thing is you don't really have to work for for movies anymore and when no, you really and don't. like yeah in the old days you kind of had to do a little bit of legwork to get your hands on certain yep. things but so. on the other hand critical thinking has become not something that people get taught and not something that they teach themselves yeah mm -hmm. you know um so i mean it's it's, it's hilarious to, to watch people on twitter sometimes i mean it's it's sad too you know where you just like <laughs> Wow, has it ever occurred to anybody something very obvious? Yeah. <laughs> Am I the only one here who's like no. No, no you're not. How how old are you? Yeah. No. No, you're not the only person who's ever thought that. Sorry. You know, and also you're wrong. <laughs> it's a two part. Uh, you know, like, there I want to talk about think about it for a minute. Yeah. You know, it's like I I'm lucky because I've seen so many movies over my life. And I began by, you know, reading critical stuff about movies at the same time. For example, I uh, 
you know, I used to, I, I got a hold of Danny Peary's uh, cult movies books, oh, one, yeah. two and three. And um, I used to read about the movies and then I'd go and watch, them, find them and, and watch them and decide for myself whether I thought that Peary's ideas about the movies were, you know, were, were they valid? Are they valid but kind of reductionist? Are yeah. they no? I, I don't know what the fuck you were thinking there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, um, you know, yeah. and and I, I guess you know, again, I've I've always been that kind of person. I've always been the kind of person who's sort of um, self-educating mm-hmm. yeah. constantly mm-hmm. um, because when I'm interested in something, I'm hyper interested okay that leads me i gotta know about the science like i gotta know how you, oh, okay. how these things find their way in you've got like mycology you've got astronomy like i i i love that like what are you reading what are you consuming is this just passively happening and how um they- you know again this is one of the wonderful things about the about the internet you know it's like i'm interested in a whole bunch of things and um you know nine times out of ten it's stuff on my feed that you know it's like i i have friends who are super into mycology i have mm-hmm. friends who are super into astronomy i have friends who are super into you know it's like um but you know nine times out of ten it's sort of like i i have a shelf of nonfiction books mm-hmm. but a lot of them are nonfiction books that you know they're pretty they're older yeah. you know it's like um and then something will come across my feed and I'll be like, Oh yeah, that, that was, that was interesting. You know, read the article that comes along with it. Um, it reminds me of something that I read like mm, upwards of 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I go and I find that book. I'm go, I go through it. Um, I, you know, underline a bunch of things and, you know, write some stuff down and then I'm like, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I'm not a scientist. So I use, I use it. I cherry pick it. Mm-hmm. And I use it again in the same way that a poet uses science. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, because I'm a poet, a poet <laughs> of horror. You know, it's like, um, but yeah, I use it in the same way that a poet uses uses science, where it's like, I heard da 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 da, da mm-hmm. and that made me think, Ooh, mm-hmm. and then the whole poem comes out of that. Yeah, you know, it's so wonderful um, because it's an ingredient for the grounding at the same time as it's an ingredient for the blooming yeah. and, and the yeah. unrealness. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's more grit. It's mm-hmm. more grit for the pearl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pearl grit. To <laughs> <laughs> make the blood pearl. <laughs> grit for the blood pearl. <laughs> Randall, should we ask about recommendations for, for um, other authors? For I actually, before we do that, I love your question that you have here, here Mel, about oh. temporary homes. Oh, and sure. I, yeah. I would love to hear Gemma's thoughts on that. Like, I uh, like okay. you talk about like Airbnb and these impermanent places, uh, like temporary childhood homes, and then that there's like the house that literally moves, you know? And right. uh, like, what attracts and come you to closer? These, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what attracts you to these places, and what do you find frightening about them? Um. Well, I mean, we we again. <laughs> Again, I I was a child in an era where people expected to um, move into some place and stay there forever. Yeah. And but I was never that kid. Um, you know, um, I think by the time I was like sixteen, we had moved. We had uh, lived in 
at least seven different houses and moved around Toronto. I mean, Toronto is a big city, right? So yeah. different uh, different places in Toronto, but um, very much, you know, from neighborhood to neighborhood to neighborhood to neighborhood. And, um, you know, so I would read books, uh, Zulfa Keatley, Snyder, you know, um, stuff that, you know, stuff that was, uh, um, come on, that had illustrations by Trina Shart Hyman. And I'd read these books and it would be like, you know, and the, the, you know, the, my, my childhood home. And I'd be like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, my yeah. childhood home, you know, uh, Australia was my childhood home at, at some points of my life, you know? Um, and it was another way in which I was in, in which I was different. And yeah. I think for, uh, you know, much, much earlier, um, in my life than a lot of people, I realize that most things are impermanent. Yeah. Uh, up to and including your body. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and, but I, I think that we live in a liminal world mm-hmm. these days. Definitely. Yeah. You know, we feel like yeah. we live in a liminal world. Like nothing is permanent. Nothing is, you know, things, things become familiar, but they don't become safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at any moment you could, <laughs> when, what is it, you 3,000, 3,000 away from uh, losing your home? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, that's fascinating. Because like, yeah, the story, um, uh, Come Closer, is is just the idea of a house not being where it was last time. Like there's yeah. so many layers to interpreting that. I mean, obviously it's creepy on its own, but then it's just the idea of losing a sense of place as well and um, and starting to feel unfamiliar perhaps, like, or your own neighborhood becoming unfamiliar to you, which I think can yeah. say a lot about gentrification and, and things of that nature. So no, I don't know. That's I, I think that's probably true. And also, yeah. you know, it's like we have very specific tropes about a haunted house. Yeah. You know, you come into the house. The house is rooted somewhere. Everyone um, knows where it is on the street. Everyone knows where yeah. it is. It's that creepy house down the street. Um, and I, you know, and I guess it just occurred to me, well, what if the house was moving? What if the yeah. house was getting closer? What if the house was, you know, and and it had it had a lot to do with the fact that um, the house itself, which I based that house on, um, was in a completely different part of Toronto. I walked by it with my with my son. Uh, we had decided I, I had decided that we that I was going to go on a really long walk. Um, and as we were coming back, we walked past that house, and I yeah. was like, "Oh, this this is amazing!" I took pictures of it. Yeah, with my phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah got to write about that house, and then. <laughs> Uh, later we were back in our neighborhood and we were walking to over to the, uh, to the gym, uh, to, to swim. And we went down this street that we always went down. And I thought, what if that house was on this street? Yeah. And that's where that came from. Yeah. It was, it was as simple as that. And then I just had to, it's a great story and it's spinning. Um, as we wrap things up here, uh, one of the things we've been asking all the people we interview, I mentioned earlier, you know, our listeners are always in the market for new horror authors, uh, who's the modern horror authors that are, you know, surprising people. And so I'd love, uh, if you had any recommendations, is there anybody you're reading right now or have read a big fan of? Yeah. Um, (laughs) 
I I am I mean you know it's like there are a lot of people that I absolutely love and um you know and increasingly they're like friends of mine which yeah. is you know um sp mikowski yeah um her skyloot uh cycle absolutely you should totally check that out she's she is fascinating and very 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 much her own thing mm-hmm. yeah. um and uh ac wise in terms of uh short fiction you know it's like all her stuff is just so neat and yeah. beautifully put together um paula ash yeah uh just came out with an incredible collection uh we are here to hurt each other um which actually reminded me of of clive barker you know not often you get that clive barker feeling mm-hmm. from things um you know great uh there's a great surge of of horror by people who identify as trans um yeah. Haley piper yeah um you know, uh, Baraka, blah, 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 you know, um, all of those people, but I am also, uh, I'm also very into, um, reading older stuff, mm-hmm. um, but sort of weird older stuff that, that falls into a, a strange sort of category, which I, I guess would call, a, which I guess I'll, I'll call, you know, it's not MR James, but if you can't, if you've read everything by MR James, you should read this. Okay. Um, <laughs> so pretty much anything from Ashtree Press okay. uh, is, is a good place to go. That's yeah. good. Well, Gemma, this has been fantastic. We love the new collection. And if people want to follow you online, where can they do so? Stupidly, I'm uh, on Twitter a lot these days. So um, <laughs> at Gemma are. Files. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I am still on Facebook uh, under, strangely enough, Gemma Files. <laughs> I don't really have a diary these days. Um, I, you know, I was on Live Journal for a long time and yeah. uh, then moved to Dreamweb. But um, yeah, I'm not, not, uh, not hanging my ass out like that anymore. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, awesome. This has been this has been such a delight. Uh, we can't wait to see what you're going to publish next. And oh, thanks thank so you. much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you good. This is the end of our show. For now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.